Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. A few of you braved the weather and got out here. Also, we're missing a few of our community group leaders. They are doing a training this morning, but for those of you who are here, I'm really glad to be with you this morning. We have a lot of work to do in the book of James. As we continue looking through the book of James, we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 this morning. So I'm going to ask that you stand as I read this text. We're just going to get right into it this morning. No clever intro, just the word of God. Let's let it speak. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this letter to the church in Jerusalem in the first century, somewhere between 40 and 50 A.D. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has sown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment." God, we thank you for this word, for preserving it through the ages for us. We thank you for the unique take that James, the brother of Jesus, has into what's good and right and true. Having heard it taught from Jesus, having observed Jesus' life and ministry, having seen the resurrected body of Jesus, and then committing his life to instruct the house churches of Jerusalem in the first century. Lord, these are These are timeless words, these are ancient words, but they have timely application and meaning for us today. So may you help us to apply it rightly for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, the big idea from this text is very simple, very clear, very pointed. Show no partiality. Some of the other translations turn the word partiality into favoritism. They translate it into favoritism, which I like that word a little bit better, actually. But since I used the ESV, I decided to stick with partiality. Show no favoritism or show no partiality. That's one of the things that I love about the book of James is it's so practical, so easy to understand. You don't need a seminary degree. 
You don't need to know the ancient languages of the Bible. You don't even need to understand the cultural context of the first century in Jerusalem when James wrote this. You just need to be able to read or have somebody read to you, and it makes sense. Show no partiality. Show no favoritism. And in context here, James is is using this example of favoring the rich over the poor or favoring those who are put together over those who are a little bit disheveled. And so we're going to dig into it this morning. We're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time like unpacking the cultural context because, like I said, you don't have to understand the cultural context. What James wrote 2,000 years ago to this church to not show partiality, it means the same thing to you and I, regardless of cultural context. It means to show no partiality, to show no favoritism. And so I don't want to dig into the background. I want to just get right into application. Before we do, though, I just want to explain partiality a little bit more. Partiality is plain favorites. It's showing preferential treatment. It's making wrong or harmful distinctions. Or it's judging somebody by appearance, assumption, or association. That's what partiality means. And I think we understand this. We all know this. We've all experienced this, right? Put yourself back into junior high and high school if you don't think you're experiencing partiality or favoritism now. So much of the tension in those age groups are trying to figure out, how do I fit in? I don't want to be judged by this group, or I want to be judged as being a part of this group, or I don't feel like I fit into any group. I feel judged by every group. And it doesn't go away. It morphs as we get older. I remember when I went to Crown College, there was this subgroup of people at Crown College known as the Crownies. The Crownies were the people who came from the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That is the denomination that this college was attached to. And so the Crownies came from larger, well-known churches in that denomination. And oftentimes their parents either went to Crown years before or their parents were prominent leaders within this denomination. And so they were known. My wife was a crownie. My wife's parents went to Crown College. My father-in-law was a pastor at the largest CMA church. And so my wife, Brittany, came to Crown College as a crownie. I'm a non-crownie. Knew nothing about the CMA, the denomination. Um, Very unknown. I played sports. Generally, the sports people were judged by the crownie people or whatever, right? You understand these cultural contexts. And I'm glad that I wasn't a crownie, but as a non-crownie, our assumption was that crownies were favored by the administration and the professors. Whether that's true or not, whether that's just our perception, I don't really know. But a lot of people think it's true because favoritism exists, right? It's like, I have a vested interest in this person or in this group. And this plays out into many areas of life. And we're going to talk some about that this morning as we go. Um, But I want you to keep this in mind. As we talk about this, as we work to apply James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, keep in mind what partiality is. Playing favorites, showing preferential treatment, making wrong and harmful distinctions, or judging someone by appearance, assumption, or association. And I think there's six specific things that James gives us here in this text of why partiality is wrong and why he condemns partiality among the people of God. Six things. First one is partiality is worldly and not godly. So look at the end of James chapter 1. We, we looked at this passage two weeks ago. James chapter 1, verse 27. He closes out the first chapter as he moves into the second chapter. And keep in mind that these, these chapters and headings and breakdowns, these were put in here by editors later. 
in the day, and so James didn't actually intend to break here. He's flowing one thought into the next thought. Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, my sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. See how he flows from saying what pure religion is? It's to care for the vulnerable. It's to care for the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the first reason that James is condemning partiality or condemning showing favoritism here is because partiality or favoritism is worldly and it's not godly. James in chapter 1 verse 27 says, keep yourself unstained from the world. That language, that word world, it's cosmos. It's the, the structure or the system of the world. The way that the world works, the way that the world organizes itself, the way that the world operates. He's saying, as you, God's people, live in the world, the world has a certain way of operating. The world has a certain system. Regardless of your cultural background or your context, regardless of where you grew up, there's a certain way that the world operates. There's governmental systems, there's business systems, there's educational systems, and, and not all of these things are inherently bad, but there's a way that the world operates, and you are sojourners. Your citizenship is in heaven. Many other places in the New Testament tell us that our citizenship is in heaven. We are sons and daughters of God, and we have been adopted into his family, and we belong to him, and we are sojourners. We're aliens here on earth. And so James is saying, because of that, Keep yourself unstained from the way that the world operates, from the world's system. And partiality or favoritism is a way of the world, not a way of God. Partiality is not godly, it's worldly. And so as he flows out of telling us to to be careful to stay unstained from the world, he's warning that the world will try to, that the world is partial. And if you're not careful, you will get swept up into the partiality or the favoritism of the world. Keep yourself unstained from the world. My brothers, my sisters, show no partiality. Partiality is worldly and not godly. We're called to be different, and we must not adopt the way that our world commonly values people. Now, James gives this example here of rich and poor. I think for the most part, our our churches are pretty good at that. Like, God's people are really good at caring for the poor. Some of you give so much money and effort and relationship to caring for the poor. And and he gives this example. I love in verse 2, notice he says, for if a man, or some of the translations say, suppose a man wearing fine gold and clothing. So he's actually setting up a hypothetical here. I'm sure there was an issue with, with the rich and the poor being partial, the rich being partial to the rich, the rich favoring the rich at the expense of the poor in their culture, in their context, but he's not actually addressing a specific issue to this church. He's using a common way that we tend to play favorites or that we tend to isolate people and, and, build, and build groups of people and play favoritism. He's using a common way and he's using it as an example. Notice verse 2, he says, For if a man, or suppose a man wearing 
a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in. It's like if on a Sunday morning when we gather, somebody who visibly, and again, don't make a judgment because you don't know, but visibly they look poor and visibly this person looks rich. The one pulled up driving a beamer, the other one pulled up driving a rusty old beater. Right? You walk in and, and one looks disheveled and maybe like, There's holes in their clothing, and the other one looks put together, and he's saying, don't play favors. Don't say to the person who appears to have money, come and sit up here close to me. And you start start playing favorites. You You start showing partiality towards that person because they think they have something to offer you. Well, pastor, this person can probably tithe some pretty big gifts. This person who looks poor, again, you don't know if they're poor or not, but they look poor, they probably can't tithe. They're probably dysfunctional. They're probably going to be a drain on your time and your energy. And so, I don't think that this is that big of an issue in our church. I think, for the most part, our church loves people regardless of economic status really well. And Christians, culturally and in America, I think we've been taught, love the poor, love the poor, love the poor. If you actually do some research Jesus-loving, Bible-reading Christians in our country give more money than most other groups to different charities, to different organizations, and they give their time and their energy and their effort to love people who aren't like them, to love people who are in a different economic bracket than them. And so I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about that one issue, rich versus poor, But I do want to just pause here and notice that James is giving this as one example. One example of favoritism or partiality. It's not the only one, and he's not even addressing it specifically because that's the one specific issue that the church has to deal with. He's just giving it as an example. And so as I've prayed through this and thought through this this last week, God's reminded me of some other areas that we, as Christians living in America, who happen to be a part of an American church, tend to show favoritism, or we tend to show partiality. Now, also notice, James, he says, show no partiality in verse 1, and then bring it down to verse 9. Look at verse 9, he says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And so I don't think, I just want to pause here and say, I don't think there's a way that we can actually fully rid our minds and our reactions from noticing the difference in people. Right? I mean, mean, there's just, the way that your mind works, you you draw connections and you make connections and you make associations and and you make observations. I, I have to wonder if James knows that the human mind is not capable of being completely impartial especially without the Spirit of God. With the Spirit of God, there's hope that we can grow in this. But without the Spirit of God, the human mind, the human soul, the human being is just partial. We tend to give preference to people who look like us, who think like us, who act like us, who do life like us. And so I think James here is saying, show no partiality. He's not even condemning what happens in your mind, and I think there is a time and a place to condemn it. We're going to get there, that we need to retrain our minds. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to change how we think, how we respond, what assumptions we make. But he's saying specifically, don't act upon what you're partial towards. Don't show it. Don't elevate the rich 
and minimize the poor. Don't play favorites. Don't show favoritism. And so some other ways that I think we need to be careful of and aware of in our cultural context. Just, and you could make a huge long list of this. But some ways as I think about this is just to be careful that we're not showing favoritism or partiality towards married people versus singles in our culture and especially in our church. It's so common for people who are single to feel like they're an anomaly in the church. And to feel like all the programming, all the effort, all the attention goes towards the married people and the families. And then those of you who are single, you know you've been around church for a while and people find out you're single. They're like, oh, I got somebody good to set you up with. As if you even want to be set up. I know some of you do. And I know some of you are committing to a life of singleness for the glory of God. And we as a church, we, we tend to make assumptions about your relational status. Do we not? Forgive us, please. Thank you for forgiving us. And those of us who are married, let's be aware of that. Don't play favorites. Don't always ask the other married couple out for dinner. Don't always ask the other family in your st same stage of life out for dinner. But maybe pay attention to those who, who aren't in the same life stage as you. Let's be careful not to show partiality. And again, there's a time and a place for, for like married couples to connect with married couples, right? There's a time and a place for families with kids to connect. There's a time and a place for grandparents to connect. There's a time and a place for singles to connect. So I'm not saying do away with all that. But just be aware that we're not becoming guilty of what James is instructing us here of playing favorites. Always giving preferential treatment to those who look, think, and act like us intellectualism versus experientialism. This is a common way that we can play favorites in the church and in the culture. Those of you who are intellectually driven, don't you tend to play favorites towards the preachers, towards the churches, towards the cultures that are deeper and more intellectually driven? Those of you who are more experientially driven, don't you tend to play favorites and you're more drawn towards those who, who are more experiential, who stir your emotions, who, who dig into your affections? Oftentimes to the detriment, right? I mean, the American church is unfortunately divided over this. You got churches that are all head and no heart. Like you come in and, man, deep teaching, I love that stuff. And nobody's smiling, nobody's singing, nobody's raising their hands. You go into other churches, everybody's smiling, everybody's singing, everybody's raising their hand. You're like, I didn't learn a thing. And so we just have to be careful that we're not giving preferential treatment to the people and the cultures and the churches even that operate and think the way that we do. What about urban versus rural? It's just our, our culture is so divided. This text is so timely for us. A 2,000-year-old ancient text that says, show no partiality, Play no favoritism. This is one of the key issues in America right now and the American church. Watch the news. Pay, like All of that frustration and angst that you feel about COVID, about racism, about politics, it's all a downhill result of favoritism, of partiality. I drove to Colorado this fall, and it's just fascinating, this cultural experience. When I got out of the Twin Cities metro, Mostly Biden signs, right? 
And then as I drove to Colorado and as I got out of the metro, mostly Trump signs. Because there's, there's, some, there, there's some cultural realities to living in the city in an urban context, in a rural context. And, I, and for me, as I drove, I'm like, this is just fascinating to be reminded of the worldview and the experiential difference of people in the city and people in the country. Farmers out in the Great Plains of the middle of the country and those dealing with much, much different cultural realities here in the Twin Cities. And so if we're not careful, we can start to give preference to a certain worldview or a certain ideology, a certain way of life. Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. Republicans tend to show favoritism towards Republicans. Democrats tend to show favoritism towards Democrats. Right? Even as Christians, if you, if you associate with a certain political party, I, I see this play out time and time again that you tend to feel a natural inclination and maybe even that slips into giving favoritism towards the Christian who has your same political persuasion rather than the Christian who has a different political persuasion. Like you assume some, some commonality and you give, you just enjoy their company a little bit more. Be careful. What about ageism? Ageism is the, the, the world's word for giving preference to a certain age group. Giving preference to the elderly or giving preference to the millennials or, or, or shifting your programming so that it's caring more for one than the other. Racism. I mean, ageism hasn't been talked about much in the last year, but racism, surely that's been on the front and center, right? And so that's, that's a, a word, a category that the world has to call out racial partiality. See, some of you like, get really resistant to the word racism. Racism doesn't exist. Systemic racism, no, we've done away with that. Well, that's a word that the world uses to identify a sin that the Bible is trying to uproot. Partiality. Don't play favorites based off of skin color. Sexism, that's preference to gender. This, this exists in our world. And God's wisdom, God's word, 2,000 years ago is warning us in the church, among the people of God, there ought to be none of this. Show no partiality. Don't treat different people People who think and act and, and may have some different conclusions than you don't treat them differently. What about nationalism? That word's been thrown a lot this last year. That is, that's valuing a nation over the nations of the world. That's plain favoritism. It's showing favoritism. Maybe you're a proud American. You should be. So many freedoms, so many liberties, so many things that God has given us here in our country. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we're more united to believers in Jesus Christ around the world who are non-Americans than we are to Americans who are non-believers. I see a head nodding because Stephen lives around the world and he knows believers who are not Americans and we're more united to them than we are to Americans who have our same political persuasion. We're supposed to be. 
two missionaries in this room are nodding their heads because they've experienced that. If you haven't connected with a believer, a non-American believer, you really should. Because it'll remind you that our connection is so much deeper than who we vote for. What our political persuasions are. And again, this is what James is getting at. He uses rich and poor as an example. And I think we need to extend that example out and be careful that we're not playing favorites, that we're not showing partialities in all other kinds of way. If we're honest, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, deconstructs a lot of the foundational realities that America was built on and continues to run on. We're Christians first. And this passage deconstructs a lot. Like, so much of our culture is built on special recognition and preferential treatment towards big donors and powerful people. Whether we're talking in the political realm, special treatment, special attention paid to big donors and powerful people, that happens in the political realm. Happens in hospitals. You go into a hospital and there's the wall of all the big donors with their names being recognized. It happens in churches. Like those who give more money often get, get a seat at the table, get to make decisions, get their names on things. And so we need to be careful. Or what about preferential treatment to those who hold our same values? What about preferential treatment to those who hold our same doctrines? Again, this is why so many churches in our, in our country are divided because like we're the reformed church. Yes, to give preferential treatment to one another. We're the non-reformed church. Yes, let's give preferential treatment to one another. We understand this doctrine in the same way. Yeah, you, you feel me? You feel me? We're good to go. It's like that, that sense of arrogance and theological pride within Christians. And it's breaking this, this command or this wisdom from James that says, show no partiality. And so first thing, well, I'm going to move quicker through the next ones, but that's a big setup. Partiality is worldly and not godly. And I, I hope some of those examples start to stir your mind thinking, how have I been partial? Where have I shown favoritism? How can I become more aware of it? And how can I lean into godliness rather than worldliness? Secondly, partiality creates harmful distinctions. James goes on after he gives this example of the poor and the rich. Pick it up in verse 4. He says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's saying partiality creates harmful distinctions. It categorizes people with worldly language and worldly systems. And it says, if you're poor, you must be like this. If you're rich, you must be like this. If you're black, you must be like this. If you're white, you must be like this. If you're Republican, you must be like this. If you're liberal, you must be like this. If you're whatever it is. It creates these harmful distinctions and it puts people in different camps and it, and it begins to assume things about people without getting to know people. So what James is saying. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is words like implicit bias or prejudice or discrimination. Segregation. These are, this is our history as a people. Those of us who are white Americans, the history of white America is showing favoritism towards white Americans. 
and James warns us against it. Partiality creates harmful distinctions. Be aware. Verse 5, he says, listen, my brothers, my beloved brothers. And I love this. Even as he's correcting, even as he's warning, he's, he's reminding them, you're loved. You're loved. You're loved by me, your pastor. You're loved by God, your father. And I'm warning you, show no partiality. Because partiality and favoritism is worldly, not godly. It creates harmful distinctions. Be careful. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So be careful to create distinctions because you're supposed to be building unity with God's people, not creating little camps or subcultures of God's people. Thirdly, Partiality dishonors people created in God's image. Look at verse 6. But, have, but you have dishonored the poor man. If you, if you show partiality, and again, he's using the example of rich to poor. If you show partiality towards the rich and you neglect the poor, have you not dishonored the poor man? The word there, dishonored, it means to rob of their dignity, to rob of their status as image bearers of God. See, that's the truth that Christians need to always have in mind. Regardless of who you're interacting with and what your frustrations are, there, there's things to be frustrated about. There's things to oppose in the world. There's ideologies and systems and sins in the world that we ought to oppose. But as we oppose that, we must always keep in mind that that person is created in the image and likeness of God. And the very reason why they have breath is because God, Yahweh, breathed the breath of life into that person. And when we show partiality, it dishonors the person who's created in the image of God. That's what James is getting at here. You have dishonored the poor man. And it could, it could be the same. You could dishonor the rich man by, by treating them poorly, but generally speaking, regardless of society, regardless of culture, regardless of country, generally speaking, the rich oppress the poor, the powerful oppress the vulnerable. That's just the way that society works. That's, that's part of the conversation with white privilege. If you don't like white privilege, think about white advantage, that because we're the dominant skin color and the dominant power, generally the dominant powerful group of people in any society oppress, whether it's intentional or, or unintentional, they end up setting up systems that oppress the non-dominant, the minorities. The majority typically oppresses the minority. Again, whether it's intentional or not, it's just the way that it works. And James is warning us, partiality, it dishonors the, the image of God in people. Fourth, Partiality dishonors Yahweh's name. So partiality dishonors the image of God in another person. But not only that, partiality also dishonors Yahweh's name. It actually, some of you are more familiar with the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God's name is Yahweh. It's his revealed name. And when we show partiality, we're actually taking the name of Yahweh. We're taking God's name in vain. Look at how James gets at this. Verse 1, he says, my, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There's this, you carry his name. 
You claim to be a Christian. You claim to be a God follower. You're one of his people. And if you're showing partiality, you are not acting like God because God doesn't show partiality. God loves his creation and he came to die for his creation. Jesus came in flesh, the God-man, to redeem a people for himself, Jew and Gentile alike. And so James is saying, when you show partiality, not only are you dishonoring the person created in God's image, but you're actually making a fool of God's name. You're dishonoring God's name. Look at verse 7. He's, again, talking about the rich oppressing the poor. And then he says, verse 7, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's saying, if, 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 you, if you show partiality, if you show favoritism, in spheres of life within the church as a Christian, it's not just rich to poor. It's all the other ways that I mentioned. If you show favoritism, you are taking the name of God in vain. It's not just saying OMG. Like we've so devalued the commandment to not take the, the name of the Lord our God in vain that we think saying, oh my God, in a non-prayerful way, or out of frustration is using his name in vain. And yes, that is, but it's scratching the surface. To show partiality, to play favorites, is a bigger offense than putting OMG into a text message. And, and here James is saying, you carry this name. God's people represent God to the world. And so if you show partiality, what are you telling the world? You're telling the non-believing world that God is a partial God. That he likes Republicans more than Democrats, or that he likes Democrats more than Republicans. You're telling the world that he likes the intellectual more than the emotional, or the emotional more than the intellectual. You're telling the world that he favors millennials over, over the elderly, or that he favors the elderly over the millennials. If you show partiality, you are communicating to anyone who's observing your life what God is like. And so be careful. Because partiality dishonors it. It blasphemes. Look at verse 7. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? The name of Yahweh. The one whom we represent. Fifthly, partiality breaks the greatest commandment. Verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Jesus came in Matthew chapter 22, he's asked a question. Teacher, what is the greatest law? What is the greatest commandment? And he sums it up in two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all of the law and the prophets hinge. Jesus summarizes all of the Old Testament, all 613 laws of the Old Testament in two. Love God, Love others. Love neighbor. And here James is saying that showing partiality is breaking the greatest commandment. It's breaking that, breaking that very basic, simple command from God. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Simply stated, you can't love your neighbor while treating them unfairly, while being partial towards others and, and not giving your neighbor fair treatment. 
And neighbor could be physical, geographic neighbor. Really, biblically, when they use the word neighbor, it's anyone who you come in contact with. It's your fellow man. James is saying, you can't claim to love God while being partial. If you're not loving your neighbor, you're likely not loving God very well because God created your neighbor and he cares for your neighbor. And so if you're struggling to love other people, if you find yourself perpetually judgmental towards other people and favoring certain people over other people, check your, check your heart's love for God and your relationship with God and your passion for God and your intimacy with God. Because love for others flows out of love for God. And James is saying to, to show partiality, simply stated, it breaks the greatest commandment. And then lastly, partiality, it incurs God's judgment. Look at verse 9 through the end of the section here. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. You see that? For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, and remember, Jesus said that, that hating another is the same as murder, that lusting after another is the same as committing adultery because they're sins of the heart. You have become a transgressor of the law. And so James here is reminding us that the smallest act of partiality puts you in opposition to God because it puts you in opposition to those whom God created and sent his son Jesus to die for. The smallest act of partiality puts you in opposition to God. And here's the reality, church family. You've been partial. You are partial. You have favorites and you play favorites. Partiality is a part of fallen humanity. And for it, you and I are damned. Because we've been stained by the world, because we live in this system, because we, we have our own judgments. As, as James said here, that haven't you become judges with evil thoughts? In verse 4, you've made distinctions among yourselves. You, you've become judges with evil thoughts. For it, we're damned and we're cursed. And apart from Christ, there is no hope for your partial and judgmental mind and heart. That's, that's the truth of the matter. But... In Christ, all of your partiality, all of your favoritism is paid in full. And that's the gospel. That's why we gather to worship Jesus Christ. We want him to uproot our partiality, to rid us of our partiality. But the reality is we have to acknowledge, I have partiality in my heart. I, I have favoritism in my heart. God, would you deal with this? And so because that's true, and because apart from Christ we're damned, what we need to do as we gather and as we reflect on and think about the gospel is we need to do two things. We need to repent and we need to receive. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty, it's law of freedom. Jesus came and set us free from the law that gives us burden, from the law that says you're partial, you're partial, you're partial, you're partial. 
damned are you because you can't get it right, because your mind continues to be judgmental, because your actions, even in, in sometimes in explicit ways and oftentimes in, in just in, in ways that you don't even know, you continue to show partiality and favoritism. But Jesus came to release you of your guilt and your inability. Now you live underneath the law of liberty. In verse 13 it says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has been shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you've received God's mercy. So two things I want to do this morning as we close out. Mark and Jen are going to come up and they're just going to lead us in a time of just some music. I want you to sit quietly at your, where you're at and spend some time repenting. Spend some time asking God to reveal to you where you tend to play favorites, to show preferential treatment, to make wrong or harmful distinctions, and to judge others by appearance, assumption, and association. Take time and allow God to reveal that to you. His loving voice will point out things. You don't need to beat yourself up. You bring it to him and say, you're right, I'm partial in this way, I show favorites in that way, I favor this group of people, or I favor this person over that person, or I, 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 I have favoritism in my heart. And in fact, I've acted that out likely in ways that I don't even know. God, would you reveal it to me? I repent of it and then turn and receive from him mercy because we are people underneath the law of liberty. We are people who have received the mercy of God, not the judgment of God because of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so after you spend some time repenting, take communion. There's communion packets in the pew in front of you. Take this as a reminder to actively receive God's mercy given to you freely through the life, death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let this be a reminder that you've been redeemed. And so Mark and Jen are going to play for a couple minutes. I really want you to sit and consider that first point. And then when you feel led and ready, take communion as a redeemed, forgiven, adopted, renewed son or daughter of God. Receive his mercy. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for living a perfect life, a life without partiality. You saw people in poverty and you didn't judge why they were in poverty. You saw people with riches and you didn't judge how they got there. You didn't condemn how they got there. You saw people with diseases and and you didn't judge how they ended up in that position. You saw people with dysfunctional, falling apart families. And you didn't say, well, they got what they deserved because they made some poor decisions in their life. You saw racial and political tensions and you didn't fall into a camp and side with certain people while distancing yourself from other people. Jesus, you lived a life without partiality, without favoritism. And you died in our place on our behalf so that we could receive the mercy of God and then we could extend God's mercy out to others. So I pray now, Heavenly Father, that you would reveal us to us areas of needed growth, that we would repent of those areas, and that we would receive with joy the mercy that we've been given through your blood.